and reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 down to verse 11 this morning. My message in this part 6, the church's one foundation, not speaking about this church in particular, but the one church, the universal church, the church that has always existed through 2,000 years of history. Read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And brethren, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Will you pray with me here? Pray for yourself. Pray for your brother. Pray for this poor preacher who has to preach to you this morning. But let's lay hold of God. Lay a hold of his eternal throne. Saints of God, that's how you approach prayer desperately, zealously, determinedly. You come with boldness. You don't approach God's throne ever to pray any other way. Don't come in fear, scared to approach on Him. You come boldly, expecting that He not only desires to hear, but He answers you. He answers your prayer. Father, we pray this morning, O oh God, we come by way of the grace of God, the blood of God, and the mercy of God. We come unto Jesus Christ, our great high priest. We come unto the city of God. We come unto Mount Zion. Lord God, we gather with innumerable saints, O oh God, and angels that cannot be counted. Lord God, we worship you this morning. Light a fire on the earth again. Father, build your church, the church on the, on the right foundation, that all hell cannot prevail against. Nor God, you said, O oh God, the gates of hell will not prevail against a church that's built on Christ. And we love you and bless you this morning. 
In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. It says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Our message this morning, the church is one foundation. Do you see how the message last week on Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 dovetails into 1 Corinthians 3? Like last week, here you have in another place, another book, another letter to a different church, you again have babes and the mature being dealt with in the context of foundations. But it's something different here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what we're looking at is now not the foundations of an individual Christian. It's not your foundation in your Christian life. That isn't what he's dealing with here. He is now dealing with the foundation of the church, a particular church in Corinth, a entire body of believers. And what is the foundation they build upon as an entire gathering of God's people? But in fact, he's talking about something far more than that. He's talking about the church, the worldwide church, bigger than a local church bigger than Corinth, bigger than a particular place. When he talks about the church, when he says the church, it's not the church of a particular place. This is a church that is universal worldwide in every community, wherever it is, it's the church. And it's not defined or confined to one generation. It has been spread over 2,000 years. That is the church he is speaking about here. And we begin to see the church's one foundation. That's a very old song. It was my mom's favorite song, the church's one foundation. It is one of the mighty songs of the body of Christ of the church. The church's one foundation. What is it? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here this morning, as we begin to think, and that's where we're going to move over the next few weeks, no longer your personal foundation in your Christian life. We're going to begin to look at the foundation of the church. And there's three things I want to deal with here, here in these scriptures that are very important. Number one, as you come to 1 Corinthians 3, you see in verse 10 and 11, a planned foundation. The foundation that the church builds on, and listen, it better be a good foundation. 2,000 years of history, every culture, every community, every type of sinner coming in to be a part of the church. The church better have a good foundation because you know what? It's got to sustain the eternity of millions and millions of souls. Their eternity depends on this foundation. If it's not a good foundation, millions from the past 2,000 years are going to perish in an eternal hell. All gone, all in vain. They live their Christian life and then all gone. If the foundation is not good, that's how important the church's one foundation is. That's why we're preaching on it. The church's one foundation. And this is the first most primary thing, a planned foundation. This foundation that the entire church of every generation, of every country, of every town, 
of every type of person coming in. That one church that I'm talking about, its foundation is a planned foundation. Look with me at the text here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul speaking, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. That term, wise master builder, is the Greek word, and it's two Greek words joined, architecton. It's the word that we get our word architect from. You know what an architect is. He'll design a building. He lays out the plans. He does the drawings. He creates this master plan. Well, that isn't what the Greek word actually means. The word architecton means the chief constructor. It's a man who not writes out the plan, but he has a plan handed to him, already drawn up. That's what the master builder is here in verse 10. Paul says, I have received grace to be a master builder in the church, the body of Christ. In other words, I couldn't do this if the grace of God wasn't upon me. It's a unique call. It's an unusual call. Not every preacher is a master builder, I'm going to tell you. But Paul was, and he said, God's grace was on me. What is God's grace? It's his ability. It is his power. It is his influence. If you do anything for God, it's because of God's grace. If you can sing or worship or preach or exhort or evangelize, if you can do anything, you have nothing to boast in. The most gifted people in the church, the more they do, the less they boast. You know why? Because they're so overwhelmingly aware of the grace of God. I can't do anything unless God's grace was there. And so Paul is saying, I am the master builder of the church. I have a plan. He is the chief contractor or constructor. Who is this master builder? He directs the entire work from a master plan. He literally has a plan drawn up. He doesn't decide it. He doesn't find the will of God. He has a plan. You know, Paul the Apostle didn't just teach things to the churches and say, well, the Spirit told me and I think you should do this. Absolutely not. You know what Paul's saying in this verse? I got handed a actual finished complete master plan for the church. I am preaching to you, writing to you, teaching you according to a master plan. It's like he got handed this master plan for the entire construction of the church. And he says, the grace of God is upon me to be a master builder. I'm a man with a plan in my hand. He says that this master builder is literally someone who works from the master plan. I am sick to death of preachers, teachers, and Christians who think they can reinvent the church. I have no time for you if that's your ideology. You've got no place in the church of Christ. If you think you can rewrite this or the Holy Spirit's reinventing this, you, you haven't even begun in your spiritual walk. If a man as great as Paul says, I'm a master builder, God's grace is on me, and I'm building, preaching, serving, evangelizing, all according to this master plan. I don't deviate from it. I don't add to it. I don't change it. I don't update it. 
It is a master plan handed to me by God. That's the sort of man that Paul was. He was the chief worker on a building site. And I want you to see this in your mind. He is the man down there at the very foundation. This architect is a position. But it's not only a man with a plan given instruction. The master builder, he had a master plan. He was leading, he was directing, but he's involved hands-on in the actual work on the site in a very fundamental way. Paul the Apostle wrote 14 of the books in our New Testament. There's 27 books in our New Testament. 14 of them, Paul the Apostle writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't given personal teaching. If you think he was merely ministering this as he went along, oh God, I, I think this is a good message. You're sadly mistaken. Everything Paul done in his entire ministry, teaching, evangelism, as an apostle, the entire ministry, he is ministering from a master plan. He didn't add to it, didn't subtract from it, and didn't update it. He is minist literally ministering that. And so most of that which is written within those 14 letters of Paul is about the church. He was the apostle of the Gentiles. Paul speaks in various places of several distinct things which he calls mysteries, things hidden that you can't know unless God reveals them. And believe me, God isn't revealing new mysteries. He's not doing that. Mysteries were fundamental teachings for the church. One of them was that Jew and Gentile will be joined in one body. That's one of the mysteries. That's not being reinvented. That, that was a mystery revealed through the master builder. It's in scripture. That doesn't get changed or updated. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it is still happening. And so Paul was revealing all these things. And you know what? This master plan came out of eternity. What did I call this point? A planned foundation. The foundation of the church, the one foundation, the only foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and what he did to become the foundation of the church, it was a planned foundation. It wasn't just happening as they go along. That's why every church you encounter, if it's a real church, it only has one foundation. If it doesn't have the same foundation, if I go to China, if I go to Peru, if I go to South America, if I go to North America, if I go to Singapore, if I go to Australia, even if I go to Limerick in Ireland, if that foundation is different in any of those cultures, I'll reject that as a church. If it doesn't have the one foundation, this foundation is unaffected by culture, time, language, circumstance, knowledge, or experience. There is only one foundation, but it is a planned foundation. You don't invent what foundation is going to be in this church. Different churches don't create their own mission statement. You don't have the right to say, well, we're different than other churches. Yes, I know New Testament churches are different. There's unique traits or errors or problems, but there's only one master plan that every single church in the world operates from that same master plan. Every single preacher, if he's called of God, Every teacher, if he is taught of the Holy Spirit, is literally operating from the same master plan. 
That's why I can go into any culture, any country, or any church, and I find it's the same. You know what? The qualifications for eldership is exactly the same. The same 22 qualifications. Well, we're Chinese. We, that doesn't really fit us. We're North Americans. We've moved beyond this. Not at all. It is the same master plan. You go there, the evangelism is going to have similarity. The gospel is going to be the same. How the church functions, it's the same master plan. That's why we can have diversity, but a beautiful unity in the body of Christ worldwide. And more than that, over 2,000 years, I could get zapped back to the first century or the fifth century. Or, or the 10th century. And if I find a group of real believers, I'll go, I'm at home here. This is so wonderful. This is the body of Christ. And so Paul was literally a master builder. Listen in the Old Testament what it says in Exodus 25 and verse 9. And this is concerning Moses and what God revealed to him concerning the building of the tabernacle that was going to get carried through the wilderness for 40 years. They, they, would, they would take it all apart, carry it. When they stopped, they built it again. That's God's house. That's where they meet with God's people or with God himself. Listen to what it says in Exodus 25 and 9. According to all that I show thee, God is speaking to Moses. According. Moses I've got a work for you to do. I want you to build me a house, a dwelling place, a tabernacle. I want you to build it. What does he say? According to all that I show you. Don't make up your own plan. Since I go crazy over this, what is wrong with the ministry? That's why the church is in confusion, because you've got men standing in pulpits don't think I've got anything special in my ministry. All I am, I've said it 10,000 times. I'm a postal boy. You know what? I don't write letters to you. I get them. I, I, I'm a delivery man. I pick up the letters. I go to your door. I stick it through the letterbox. I don't open up your personal letters. It's written to you from a certain person. Oh, bad news. They won't like that. Oh, telling them this. They won't like that. I'll put a line through that. And I, I give you a nice, condensed, beautiful message, took out all the bad news, uh, I took out the rebukes, took out anything that would make you feel uncomfortable, and I put it through your letterbox. That's a criminal offense. Do you realize in this nation, any postman who actually throws away the letter, or if he opens the letter, or steals the letter, or changes the letter, it's a criminal offense. It's a very, very serious thing. I take that very serious. How much more is it not? It's a criminal offense for any preacher to come here who doesn't do it according to the pattern. Listen to what God says to Moses. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. This word pattern is very important. God speaking to Moses. Do everything in the tabernacle. My heart. Do you realize Moses didn't have the right to change anything? Are you getting a picture here? Moses in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament, they don't make up their own plan. They don't say, Holy Spirit, you show me something. You've got a plan to operate from. 
be very careful of those who think they're greater than Paul or greater than Moses in the Old Testament. God speaks to Moses saying, I'm giving you the pattern. Do according to the pattern. Build the tabernacle according to the pattern. Every instrument, every single instrument, every curtain, every curtain hook, every spike, make sure it's according to the pattern. This word pattern is very interesting. It means the structure, this pattern that God gave Moses in the mountain. That's on the mountain burning with fire. Remember, he went up for 40 days, didn't eat, didn't drink. And believe me, you don't do that. Then came down, then went back up again, 40 days up there alone with God. God came down, spoke to him as a friend speaks to a friend. Not like the prophets who had dreams and visions and words and burdens. He spoke to God face to face as a friend speaketh to a friend. You know what he got up on that mountain during that time? The pattern God gave to him said, this is my tabernacle. You know, later in Revelation, you get a glimpse into the heavenlies and you see an altar there. You see a tabernacle there. You see the incense altar there. You know what that means? The tabernacle in the Old Testament is just actually built as a reflection of what you get in heaven right now, even this morning. It's an amazing thing. So God gives Moses the pattern, says every instrument, make it according to my pattern. What does the word pattern mean? It means a structure, by implication, a model, a resemblance, or a design. It's a figure, a form, a likeness. So God gives Moses a pattern, a example, a little model, and says, go build the tabernacle. This is what I want it to look like exactly. The word for pattern in the Hebrew, I won't try to pronounce the Hebrew name, but again, the root word of this is very interesting. You've got to know this. It's the word banner. So within the word pattern, you get a Hebrew word for banner. What does banner mean? The Hebrew word banner, it's used in Genesis chapter 2, 22, concerning God made a woman. That's the word banner. The word banner means to build or to raise up sons or to bring forth a structure. Do you know when God made the woman, you know what he did? He built a woman out of a rib, a curved rib. He took a rib and then he built, he made, he designed, bana. he literally built an entire functioning woman, just like the church, the body of Christ. And so he brings forth this woman, God brings forth this woman, building her bit by bit out of one single rib. Well, this word pattern is something like that. You literally have a plan to build something. It's the master plan to build. You know what he gave to Moses? The master plan. I want you to go build me a tabernacle, a house. It's a beautiful thing. And we read here concerning this. Everything was done according to the pattern. Moses, you make sure every color is like I said. Every size, every length, every dimension, every type of metal. Don't you dare change it. If I say a badger skin, don't you go put in a fox's skin. You make it exactly. 
I am tired of men that have changed the church, the body of Christ. I get angry over that, and I ought to get angry. This is God's church. This is Christ's church. He, ha he gave the master plan. Paul didn't invent this. Moses didn't invent this. It was a master plan, entire. It didn't lack one detail, not one color, not one issue, not one situation. Everything is in the master plan. When you read again in verse 40 of Exodus 25, it says, And look that thou make them after the pattern which was showed thee in the mount. Again, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 11, listen to this. It says, Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern. Why? Because David is saying, here's the pattern to build the temple in Jerusalem. I'm not going to build it. I wanted to build it. I desire to build it. I've gathered all the material, but here's the pattern. Do you realize David had the pattern for the temple? He didn't design it. He didn't get all his great architects and say, will you design me a temple? Oh no. So we have Moses, we have Paul. Now we've got David on the house of God, not only the tabernacle in the wilderness, now it's going to be the, the temple in Jerusalem and the church, the body of Christ for 2,000 years. It's all according to the pattern. David says to Solomon, here's the pattern. Solomon, don't you build God's house. Don't you make decisions. Don't you decide. You're a servant. Do it according to us. Yes, Solomon, you're to tell the workers, you do this, you do this, you do this. How did Solomon know all that? It's according to the pattern. But there's more. In verse 12 of 1 Chronicles 28, and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. David had this pattern by the Spirit of God. In chapter 28, verse 19, it says, All this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. So you begin to see how David got this pattern. The Spirit of God is upon him. He is literally putting pen to paper and God has given him all the instructions. He wrote up or drew up the pattern for the temple, but it's under the Holy Spirit. It's by the Word of God. It's the design, the thought, the mind of God communicated to David. He puts it down the pattern, hands it to someone, Solomon, and says, build the temple in Jerusalem. Do not deviate from the pattern. And so when we come to the New Testament, it's no mystery then. It's no surprise that Paul, the greatest of the apostles, what's my point in this? A planned foundation. The foundation for the entire church that's going to sustain their eternal welfare, that's going to keep them against the gates of hell. Remember, when you get to heaven, you don't need to worry about the gates of hell, do you? It's down here. It's not the church that's overcome in heaven that needs to worry about the gates of hell. It's the church in every generation being built, being added to. So I want to know that the church here right now in our generation has the right foundation because if not, the gates of hell will come against it. Paul writing, he says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 17, Wherefore I beseech you, turn to Corinth, the same place where he's talking about this foundation. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me, 
upon all the Christians. Paul's saying, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, follow me. I've heard a lot of people in this city, you know what they say? I don't follow any man. What they mean by that is they do their own thing. I don't listen to men. I listen to God. I follow God. Aren't you very spiritual? You're, you're a super spirit. Paul didn't say that. Listen to what he says. I beseech you, be followers of me. In fact, elsewhere in his other letters, he said, see the elders in the church, be followers of those that oversee you. If no one oversees your soul, why not? Because Paul wrote about it. That's a normal function in the church. Those that watch for your soul. If you don't have that, why not? Why not? Why, why isn't there anyone caring, watching for your soul, or ministering into those things? Paul says, I beg you be followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus. Why? So that you'll follow me. So I sent Timothy, a young preacher. So, because I want you to follow me. Follow my example, how I live. He says, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. Don't send someone who isn't faithful. I'm sending Timothy. I would hate to send an unfaithful preacher. He'll go preach something else. Well, the Lord just led me along the way. I didn't ask you to do that. Imagine asking someone, saying, would you go and deliver this message to someone? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. And halfway down the road, well, the Spirit of God just, I, I felt I just thought my message would be better than your message. So you come in your name now. Do you see this saturates the church of our generation? It saturates ministry. And you wonder why there's problems. They, they, these are big men and women who think they know better than the pattern. They don't have a clue about the pattern. They don't even study the word of God. But I tell you what David did, Moses did, Paul did. They had a master plan. Everything they'd done was according to the master plan. It could be checked. If you ask them, they'd say, I'm not saying my own thing, giving my own message, doing my own thing. Nothing I do. All of it is submitted to the plan, the purpose of God. And so he sent Timothy, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Oh, that was only in Corinth. That was Corinthian custom. That's only for Corinth, but it's not for Ephesus. Where'd you get that? That was for 2,000 years ago, but it's not for the 21st century church. Where did you get that idea? My Bible says that Paul, sending Timothy, says he will teach you all the things that I teach in every church, everywhere, all the same unaffected by culture, generation, numbers, style, or anything else. He ministers the same to every single church. And so this foundation, what is the foundation? The foundation is Jesus Christ. He is, the entire church is built on one foundation, only one foundation. It's the person of Christ. And you know what? It's a planned foundation. I hope you see this and never forget it. There is a plan how to build the church. That's why I turn up here. I don't need to pray and wrestle and go, God, what are we going to do about our church in Limerick? What's it going to look like? How do we do this? I'm just a servant. I'll preach the word of God. I obey him. I build according to the book. I, I, I've got a whole builder's manual here. Some of you didn't know I was a builder. You may not trust me in your house, 
You may not trust me to do the mechanics of your car, but I tell you what, I know a master plan for your life, your marriage, your welfare, your ministry, your calling, how to live in the world out there, how to live on the high street, how to function in any area of your life. I don't, I, I don't have any physical kids. I'll tell you how to raise your children. I, my, my wife's an eternity. I'm single now. I'll tell you how to have a good marriage. I, I don't need to have had children to know how to raise children. I'll give you the master plan, the word of God. You want blessed children, I'll tell you how. Just tell them, Ethan there, you know, isn't that a coincidence, me exhorting uh, about that man in the Old Testament with six sons? I said, you know, maybe that word was for you the other day. They, they just conceived. Uh, for the, if you weren't here on Friday, you missed that. But they, they announced conception of this child. What a wonderful thing. Maybe there's a plan. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to be praying for this somewhere. If it's not you, it'll be someone else. Six sons sitting in a row. Could you imagine that? Gifted, called, being raised up. You know where the master plan is? It is here. So you see the foundation, and we will deal with the church in the weeks ahead, but this foundation, you, it's not a different foundation for every church. There is only one foundation. There is only one foundation. And, and Paul says it here, that you can't lay any other foundation. Point number two, Christ as the foundation Look what it says in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Did you notice that word wise? Not just master builder. He had not only grace upon him, he had wisdom. You know, you could give this master plan to someone and it could make a pig's ear of it. You'll say, what's that abomination? Oh, that's the church. That's not the church I know of. You need wisdom to know how to minister this master plan, or you get something so distorted, you, you can't even imagine. Paul says, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Verse 11, the other no for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the foundation. He, the person of Christ, is what the entire church builds upon. It's not your ministry, not your calling. It's not how we preach. It's not anything about this church. That is not foundations. You know what the foundation is? It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. My ministry's only in the house. My ministry's only a part of us. It's not foundation. The foundation is the actual person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry had laid everything in the first century. This foundation doesn't get laid again. We don't keep repeatedly laying new foundations. There is only one foundation. The church is being built for 2,000 years. Can you imagine having worked on a house for 2,000 years? And then you go back and say, what foundation are we going to lay? or let's put in a new foundation. It's too late. You'll have to destroy the whole structure. That foundation was laid once in one generation at one time. Paul ministered the master plan. This is the foundation. Do you notice that all his letters are filled with Christ? They are undiluted Christ. Everything is Christ. It revolves around the person of Christ. So when it says Christ is the foundation, 
upon which the church is going to be built. What's he really saying here? You see, Paul laid the foundation, not Joseph Smith. I hope you know that. The Mormons had their prophet in the 19th century. Joseph Smith come along and said, you know what, everyone's got it wrong for almost 1800 years. No one has preached the gospel since AD 96 until me. And now, you know what, he began to minister. He says, you know what, the Bible's wrong. All the books of the Bible are corrupted, but I've got a new revelation. In fact, I've got a new book. And if you read about him, how he got it, he used stones, he used necromancy, he used all sorts of mystical things to try and get these revelations. It was an absolute deception. Mormonism is not Christianity. It's not built upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you begin to talk to, to Mormons, you begin to realize they believe in three gods. No, they don't. They believe in millions of gods. They believe that God was a man once and that all of us are going to ascend to become gods. So Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, he says, they are three distinct gods. God the Father had a human body. Jesus Christ was the brother of Lucifer. They were brothers together. And on and on and on. Speak to a Mormon. They've got to evangelize to be saved. They're doing good works to merit salvation. I, I, I've talked to innumerable Mormons seeking to evangelize them and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, Mormonism does not have the real gospel. There's that show on television, it's called The Chosen. It, it takes stories from the Bible, changes it, adds to it. Think about this. You know what, I've only watched one, maybe two episodes of it. They are done brilliantly. The acting is brilliant. The, the writing of it is brilliant. Everything about it is superb. You get drawn in. I'm telling you, I know my Bible, but that is done brilliantly. Well, at least the one that, that I watched at any rate. And you're watching this. But there are people behind that who add, subtract, change, mold. They don't have a worry about that. Do you know that series, The Chosen, what it's done more than anything, any other thing in 200 years? It's given credibility to the Mormon church and said they're Christians like us. On their board is a Catholic priest, a Mormon leader, and then a born-again Christian. Not much born again if you join with this trash. So the priest, the Mormon, and the born-again Christian sit down and they discuss how they'll do this. Do you know all the Mormon money went into that series, The Chosen? You know what I'm telling you? The foundation is wrong. Same with the Catholic Church. The foundation is wrong. We're not debating here about head covering or tongues and the gifts of the Spirit or ministries like apostle. We're not doing that. We're dealing with foundations. What is the foundation? You get the foundation wrong. You are going to hell. If the church is built on the wrong foundation, and there is only one foundation, it was laid 2,000 years ago. If you walk in and that church is not built on the right foundation, it is not a church. You, you, you will be destroyed in that place. You see, this foundation looks like something. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1, Paul writing again, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. What is the foundation? It is the basic 
foundational gospel concerning Jesus Christ. You see, you've got to know what are the fundamentals, the issues of heaven and hell. You need to draw a line and understand lots of things can go on in a church and you may disagree with them, but they're brothers in Christ, they're sisters in Christ. They are real, genuine believers. But there's other foundational things that will send a man to heaven or hell. You can't get that wrong. I can't have fellowship with Mormons. Why? Because their foundation is erroneous. It's another Christ, another gospel. They reject my Bible, my pattern. They're building according to Joseph Smith's pattern. They've redesigned everything. You're building an utterly different house. We've got nothing in common. And so Paul says here, I declare unto the gospel which I preached unto you everywhere in every church, which also you have received, wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. See, you better know what Paul preached. You better keep it in memory. You better stand on it or you'll be lost. Do you hear me this morning? This is the foundation. If you don't have the foundational gospel right, you are on your way to hell. I don't care what you profess or what you think you know. If you are not building on Christ as a foundation, you are in danger in your eternity. I don't care if you feed every poor person in this city. I don't care if you give all your money away. I don't care if, you, if you've been whipped and martyred for the faith. That does not save you. Being a martyr doesn't save you. Being thrown in prison doesn't save you. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, what Paul preached? He then goes on, says, keep this in memory, unless you have believed in vain. If you move away from what he taught about the gospel, you could say, oh, but I know Jesus. But do you believe the gospel as he preached exactly the same? You can't add to it. If you add to it or say, well, I don't believe in repentance, then you're on your way to hell. You don't have the right to change that. Oh, I don't believe. I, I don't believe in blood atonement. That's gory. You're on your way to hell. A bloodless religion is a Christless religion. I want to assure you. Then Paul goes further. He says, for I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received. Do you see? He's given to you what he received. You better not make up your own anything. You simply receive the gospel. When you're born again, you receive it. This is what you're, you're given to believe. You don't have a right. You can think through, make your own decision, weigh it for yourself, find out if it's real, but don't change it. Either reject it or receive it. Don't stand halfway. And then Paul says, says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which was I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul didn't just preach Christ died for our sins. He said, according to the scriptures, the Old Testament. My gospel has authority because of the Old Testament scriptures. I didn't just receive a revelation from God. I said, everything I'm preaching and teaching is in the plan, in the word of God. It's all here for you. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Someone who doesn't believe Jesus rose from the dead cannot be born again. If you don't believe in a literal creation, if you're an evolutionist, you can't be born again. 
If you deny the authority of God's word, you can't be born again. If you believe there's other ways than being born again, faith in Christ, there's something badly wrong with you. You've invented your own thing. We, we see this not only with the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Peter. Remember Peter, who the Catholic Church say, he is our foundation. Peter's supposed papacy and the Catholics' teaching concerning the primacy of the bishop at Rome rests upon just one single scripture. Usually, they don't even bother trying to have a scripture for their doctrines. But in this case, they, it, they base their entire, the, the entire Catholic Church for 2,000 years, so they say, is built upon this one revelation. Everything is based. And they say, our entire church, its foundation, who is it? It's Peter. Pope Peter. The word wasn't heard of then, but they call him Pope Peter, the first bishop of Rome. Just one problem. There's not one scripture in the entire Bible ever says Peter went to Rome. You won't find it. You won't find one historic comment in the second century to say Peter ever visited Rome. Not one single comment. Oh, I know you've all heard Peter got martyred outside of Rome. We, we've all heard that. Prove it to me from scripture. Prove to me he went to Rome just once. In fact, when Paul writes to Rome and he writes his letter, guess who he doesn't greet? He doesn't greet Peter. He greets everybody, even greets Mary. Mary, you've got to mention. Uh, Mary even gets a man. Tell, tell Mary, your mother and my mother, tell, tell her I'm asking for. Peter doesn't get a mention. Then Paul ministered in Rome for many years. He doesn't mention Peter anyone at, at any point. Do you see how things get twisted? We get away from the pattern. Well, they base this, that Peter is their apostle, his foundation. You know, by the third century, they said Paul and Peter started the church in Rome. Then they dropped Paul out, and then they only mentioned Peter. That's what happens with church history. Don't rely on early church writings. The early church fathers, well, they wrote just after Peter, after John, after Paul. They carried more weight. No, they do not. Oh, I'm a student of the early church writings, and that gives us insight. In my Bible, Jude warned about those getting raised up in their churches. At the end of the first century, beware, false teachers are coming. Beware of those rising up in our apostolic churches. They're coming to deceive. It says in Matthew 16, And Simon Peter answered Jesus and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon and Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you. Notice we get everything by revelation. Anything we have, it's given to us. And it can be confirmed by scripture. So he says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter. But my father, which is in heaven. Are you born again today? Are you saved by God's grace? Have you had a revelation of who Jesus Christ is? Do you go, he's the Lord. He's the Savior. He died for me. Do you know who showed you that? It wasn't being in this church, I can assure you. 
It wasn't the person who evangelized you. It was your Father in heaven. He came looking for you. He said, Holy Spirit, go get that person. He said, apply the work of Jesus Christ. You didn't even have a thought about God. And God the Father's going, I'm after you. I'm coming for you. I'm looking for you. You were searched out. You didn't find God. God wasn't lost. You were lost. People say, oh, I found God. Really? Was he lost? Where did you look for him? Where did you find him? God was not lost. You're the lost one. And it says here, Christ says, Peter, my Father in heaven has revealed this unto you. That's who revealed it. What did he reveal? Christ is the Son of God. Then listen to the next verse. And I say unto thee, it's connected, that thou art Peter. It's the word Petros, meaning a rock. Oh, not quite. It means a stone you hold in the hand. Petros. It's a play on words. You are Peter, Petros, you're a rock I can hold in my hand. Then listen to what Jesus says. And, no, and just for you that may want to know, that's in the masculine form of the Greek. In other words, when he says Petros, he's not saying you're feminine. He's saying you're masculine. It's a masculine name. You have to say that these days. But listen to what he says next. And upon this rock, Petra, you're Petros, a rock I can hold my hand. Sorry for spelling this out, but we need to. Uh, but uh, upon this rock, Petra, which is in the feminine form, can't be a man. You're Petros, a rock. But Petra, what's Petra? It's a big, massive foundation stone. It's two different Greek words. Petra, Petros a rock you hold, and a massive foundation. He's not saying, you are the rock upon which I build my church. He's saying, let's get this straight, Peter. You're a rock, I hold my hand. And you know how I know you're a rock? Because you had this revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Your eyes were open. You said, you are the Messiah. You know what that means? Guess what, Peter? You're a rock. I'm going to build on the rock, on the massive foundation stone. And he goes on here to say this, I will build my church. How is he going to build his church? Through stones like you. We sing a song, we haven't sung it in a while. I want to be a stone in the new Jerusalem. A beautiful, I want to be a stone. I am a stone, believe it or not. But you know what he's saying? Peter, you're a rock. We're building the church. How does Christ build his church? He saves you. You become a stone in the house of God. How? By a revelation of who Jesus is. You go, he is the son of the most high God. So we begin to see, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A church that is built on the rock. What is the rock? It's a revelation of Christ. It's the feminine form. It's not speaking specifically of Christ, but this revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. It is a remarkable thing. And then it says, from that time forth, Jesus, notice this carefully, what happens here. It's the same Peter. It's the same time. Just after Christ is revealed, I'm going to build my church. Peter, you're one of the stones, one of the rocks that's getting built. I am the builder. 
I build this church. I am building it on a solid foundation. It's all about me. I am the revelation that this church is going to be built upon. There's only one foundation, Jesus Christ, her Lord. That's the church's foundation. And it's dynamic. All hell cannot prevail. Where are you going to build a church? I tell you what, I'm going to build my church, this church, on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because if it is built on him, all hell will not prevail against it. Have you been born again on the rock? All hell will not knock you off the rock. You may have come out of drugs, out of immorality, out of drunkenness, out of suicide, out of all manners of abuse. I tell you, if by God's grace, I can so preach that you're building your life as a part of the church in this rock, all hell, it could come against you. It will come against you. You won't get knocked off this rock. You're built upon the rock. It's a sure thing. It's a solid thing. I'm not going to build on a ministry. I'm not going to build on personalities. I'm not going to build on certain aspects of truth. I'm going to build on Christ. You must be born again. That's how we build this church. That's what we're going to do in this city. Oh, it's a soul here, a soul there, this person. But isn't it glorious when we know that we're being built together to be a habitation for God? But listen what happens next. And that time, from that time forth, began Jesus, from that time, this revelation, Jesus to show to his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Right from that, that revelation, this is the foundation of the church. What is it? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I've got to die at Jerusalem. This is the foundation stone, a revelation of Christ. But don't you mistake what the revelation is. I mean, is it just a mystical, well, I know Jesus, I have communion with him. You better know that this foundation of Christ has everything to do with his death, his bleeding, his suffering, his atonement, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Without that message, you don't have a foundation. Oh, we've got deeper truths. We've moved on to deeper things. Let me check your foundation. I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you live in the seventh heaven. I don't care if you've been to paradise and back. I want to see your foundation. Are you still in awe that Jesus Christ died for you? Do you sit at the Lord's table this morning and want to wait? Are you overjoyed? He bled for me. He suffered. He bare my sins. Then probably you're built on this stone if you're like that here this morning. So Jesus conveys to them, I'm going up and on the third day, I'm going to be killed, then raised. I'll be mocked, rejected, condemned. Listen to what Peter says. You want to build on Peter? No wonder the Catholic Church is in such a mess. 2,000 years building on a man. I don't care how great the man is. That man cannot sustain you. Listen to what Peter says. As soon as Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. And Peter took him, means to grab him. Would you have been that brash? Grabbing the master. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter's rebuking Jesus. Do you know with Christians, they can have a problem. They get a revelation of Christ and then they think they are something. 
They're built on him. He is their foundation. Then they're rebuking him saying, no, no, you don't need to suffer. We don't believe in the doctrine of suffering anymore. No, no, Lord, it won't be. you don't need to suffer. God would never let you suffer. And he rebuked him saying, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto you. Do you realize if it wasn't, there wouldn't have been any foundation. There wouldn't have been any church. Peter, who the Catholic Church says is their foundation, is rebuking Christ. He's got him by the lapels and he's rebuking him saying, no way, no way. What a brash man. He gets some things right and some things terribly wrong. He's saved, he got that right, but oh boy, after that, you could be in real trouble here. Listen to what Jesus said, but he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. One moment he's got a revelation from God the Father in heaven, Right next moment, whenever Christ is bringing forth real sound teaching and doctrine, suddenly the devil, he wasn't possessed by the devil. Jesus doesn't cast any demon out of him. The devil wasn't in Peter. But he could drop thoughts, probe him, move on flesh, use flesh. And here he is saying, no, doesn't that sound so innocent? You don't need to go to death. No, no, Lord, be it far. You don't need to die. You won't be rejected. Don't you hear it in the church? All these nice Christians saying, oh, well, we don't believe that. We, we, we believe you can live without suffering or some other aspect. Or we, we don't believe. That Malcolmson, see how he preaches, dealing with sin. I mean, can he just be happy? Can he just bless us all the time? Why does he need to stand on our little toe? Why does he need to preach on those things? Can he just ignore those things? Sounds so nice, doesn't it? Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Certain ideas, responses to truth or rejection of truth can have the devil in it. The devil inspiring it, stirring it up. Oh, I I don't believe, I don't think like that. Yeah, the devil is influencing you. Oh, I don't need to submit. I don't need to be in a church. I don't need... I don't need, I don't, yeah, I've heard it all. I know exactly who's behind that because it's not according to the pattern. It's not according to the church. It's not according to what Paul taught. It's not according to the practice of apostolic Christianity. You've really got a problem here. Third and finally, let me finish with this. Carnality and spirituality building on the same foundation. You've got a Peter, an apostle, building on the right foundation. But suddenly, in his immaturity, I mean, you've got no doubt about his salvation here, do you? But oh man, I wonder what the other 11 thought, seeing him take the master by the lapel and rebuking him, disagreeing with him. Disagreeing with him. No, 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 no. How do you think the doctrine comes from? Carnality and spirituality building on the same foundation. Did you notice as we read this morning what it said in the opening of this chapter where we've dealt with the foundation? 
where we have dealt with this master plan. Paul is writing about the master plan and the foundation. The foundation is according to this plan and the entire church is going to be built. How does he open at the beginning of chapter 3? And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He's saying they're in Christ. I ought to be treating you like spiritual because you think you're spiritual. You think you're mature, but I can't. Same problem as last week to the Hebrews. So many things to say, but I can't. Now here at Corinth, he is saying again, I've got so many things I want to speak on to you as on the spiritual, but I can't because you're carnal, as on the babes. So I've actually got a minister. Do you know every preacher can't preach what he wants to? There's things a preacher would like to teach. He actually can't because of where folk are at. And so he's got to teach on another level in order to get them to that level. And if things don't change, then he can't go that direction. It, it's, real, it's been like that 2,000 years. You know, some churches you go to and they complain about the... Pre I've had guys come to me, complain about their pastor, teacher. Oh, he only preaches elementary, basic. It, it, it's baby food. I've often wondered, maybe you're a baby. You know, they, all these spiritual people that think they're big men. And I just go, I wonder whether he can't and he doesn't have liberty. Because he's got all these babies, me, 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 moaning, grumbling, complaining, bickering, and he's trying to minister. Jesus is salvation. Yeah, 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 we know that. Give us the meat. You can't eat meat. You can't even live in unity knowing that Christ is your Lord, that you're born again, that you're forgiven. All of you are off doing your own things, disorderly says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. You see, you can have a preacher, an apostle ministering milk rather than meat. Oh, he could minister meat, but he ministers milk. Why? Because of who he's dealing with. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. Before I close, let's just get into these words a little bit. He talks about the carnal man, verse 1, verse 3, and verse 5 again, the carnal man. This word carnal is the Greek word sarkiochus or something like that, but that's the word. And it means that which pertains to the flesh. He's talking to people in Christ, in the church at Corinth, who are being fed by milk. In other words, they're real believers in Christ, but they ought to be older, ought to be mature, ought to be meat eaters, but he's feeding them on milk. He actually calls them carnal, like babes. You see, it's okay for babes to receive milk, but he doesn't call babes carnal. But he says there's a trait that's very similar between an older Christian who is carnal and a young Christian in the door. There's a similarity. What is the similarity? Because the one that's been around a lot of years has a lot of information, a lot of experience, can tell you. In fact, they do tell you a lot of things. They do that. This babe comes in going, I don't know much, but I love Jesus. I understand the foundation, but you know, I don't have any experience, no past. I don't understand it all. I've got so many questions. That's okay. That's wonderful. That's how you grow. You are going to grow. 
But this big baby over here, who's been around 30 years or 10 years, and still it's the same. We need to deal with him. What does this word carnal mean? It means that which pertains to the flesh, not the old nature, but the body. It's that which is natural of this world, not spiritual. So that's how you discern someone carnal. They don't think spiritually, speak spiritually, decide spiritually, or act spiritually. So you feed them with a bottle. If they're definitely saved, definitely built on the rock, definitely a Christian, but yet they're thinking so naturally about everything. Either you're a young Christian who just needs to grow, need to be taught, need to be led. But if you've been around years and you still cannot receive basic things, being told what the Bible says, you're carnal. You're fleshly. And you know what? You always have to tell that person the same thing repeatedly. Whereas the mature one, you say once, they'll never forget that. They heard it 20 years ago. 30 years ago, they're told they never forget it. That one statement, because they're acting on it. So that's the natural. This is a soulish man, born again in the church, but he lives by the five senses of the soul realm. Look what Paul goes on to say here. Verse 3 defines what this looks like. For ye are carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Notice that. Saints, I'm rejoicing this morning that we're in a church we don't have envy in here that I know of, strife and division. I commend you because I can't just do that alone. That is you as a body function together. And you know what that tells me? That tells me of something. I might wonder where the maturity level is here. I might quiz, but you know what? The fact that we don't have division and strife and bickering and debating that tells me something. That wouldn't be how I judge this church. I'd be going, oh God. And then I look at this scripture this morning and go, we're dwelling together in unity. I commend you. I encourage you this morning. There's a fellowship in together. That actually greatly encourages me this day. You see, Paul says about them, you are yet carnal. How do I know that? Because there is envying. That means heated zeal. It means to be heat, to be burning, to be red hot. Ever met someone in the church, they're red hot about a doctrine or about an issue or about the curtains. It's never happened here. You don't know what you've been saved from. I've been in churches, a poor pastor, I speak to him. He said, these old mature believers, 30, 40, 50 years saved, and they're arguing. They don't like the seats. They don't like the color. They don't like this. I said, brother, I'd cure. Just burn the place down. Let, let them come out and stand. I, I mean it. You, you know I mean it, don't you? you? You know I mean this. And so Paul's saying it's carnality. They're jealous of one another. What are you being jealous of? You know what? I need to feed you with milk. You are babies again. There's a foundation here. There, there's a master plan to raise up the church. I mean, it talks all about this unity. Dwelling together, how we fellowship. I hate foolish banter, ribaldry, this joking in the church. I like a good joke. I've got, you know, laughter's good for the heart. The Bible says that. Don't throw that out. I don't mind a joke. I don't mind good humor. 
But I hate foolishness. And most Christian fellowship, they don't know how to fellowship. Saints, God has raised up here a quality of fellowship, encouraging one another, sitting with each other, helping each other, bearing one another's burdens. How wonderful that is. But envy and jealousy is destructive. Also strife, that means to quarrel, to wrangle, debate. And then divisions, that means to be split one from the other. Divisiveness, all these are marks of carnality or being children. Thank God the babes, the new converts, the young believers here don't even fall into this. Yet there's older Christians in most churches, they live in this realm, debating, arguing, throwing out something just to start an argument. You are carnal. You're fleshly. Oh, well, I just, no, you're carnal. This is deadly stuff. And Paul is dealing with this. For while one says, I'm a Paul, another Apollos. Oh, I'm of LCC. All you ones online better listen. Oh, LCC. You better be very careful. Do you know what? I, ju- I love preachers who are quiet and I love preachers who are loud. Different styles, different ministries, different personalities. I love them all. Do you know if you go, I like that style. He speaks loud. He speaks quiet. I hate that, that guy that lifts his voice. That's a carnal way to judge ministry. All of this can be going on. What's my third and last point? Carnality and spiritually building on the same foundation. You can have genuine believers building on the same foundation. They're born again. They're saved. But one can be carnal. The other spiritual. And it looks very, very different. Paul talks about those that are spiritual. Do you know what that word spiritual means? It's got the word pneuma, of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there. You know, in Jude's letter, he talks about those without the Spirit, disjointed. They won't meet with any other believer. Something wrong with that. They claim to have the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit. They're spiritless because there's no desire to function on the foundation of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul speaks, he says, but he that is spiritual, uses the same word, judges all things. Don't judge. Obviously, you're not spiritual. Oh, we don't believe in judging. You shouldn't judge. You shouldn't name names. Then you're unspiritual. Because my Bible says, they that are spiritual are mature, judge all things. The word judge means to weigh. See, that's exercise in the senses. That's what it means to be a meat eater. You have gained the ability to weigh things up, to discern things, to know good from good. Not just good from evil, good to good. You know how to weigh things, how to judge things, and how to discern things. There's people in the church saying, I'm of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Peter. They're all arguing. Paul is saying, there's a problem in the church at Corinth because this is how you're thinking. Saints of God, there's a master plan how we're going to build this church together. It is written here. And as a preacher, I try to be faithful to it. But let's make sure that we have that one foundation. We're going to deal with some of these things in the building of this church. Saints, this is the one foundation. And as we think of foundations, why do you lay a foundation? Because you're going to build a house. You're going to build a church. You're going to raise up Christian lives. They're going to function together. 
And we'll see a bit about that. What does the church look like when it's built and grounded on this real foundation? Because I want to show you in a day like this, I not only want my Christian life to be built on the right foundation as an individual, but this entire church, if the Lord ever took me, I'd like to think I've left behind a church that has the right foundation. Oh, there may be issues that need worked out of sanctification, issues people are going to have to grow in, but that foundation is a true foundation and that these people, if I can help it, not one person will go from this church into an eternal hell. If I can help it, I want to help every one of you to actually on that day when Jesus comes to be ready for him, to meet him, to look into his eye and for him to say, well done. I want to present to him. You see, you're my crown. That's one of the crowns the Bible talks about for an elder. You are my crown. You may say, boy, we're some crown, aren't we? You sure are. But on that day when Jesus comes, can you imagine that? Saints of God, I've got a lot invested in this church that's going to affect me in eternity because there's a reward hinges on this crown, on how I treat you, how I minister to you, that this is a real church, that you believe the word of God, that you're real converts. A lot hinges on this because I want to be with you eternally. I'd hate to get to the portals of heaven and go, there were a tear, a tear, a Judas, an Esau. My heart would break. You'll say, there's no tears in heaven. Who said that? He says he wipes away tears. There is tears in heaven, but he wipes them away. And then there'll be no more after that. But I assure you, on judgment day, if you don't build on this foundation right, you're going to cry tears. You will. But then he wipes them away and says, it's okay. Let's enter into eternity. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you. We do love the word of God. And Father, we thank you for this solid foundation. We're not building on sand. We're not building on our own opinions or the thoughts of men. We're not building on a denomination or a preacher or a style of ministry or anything else. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've opened up a revelation of your Son. Thank you that you drew us. Thank you that you set your love upon us while we're yet in our sins. We had no thought of you, no imagination, but you came looking for us. Lord God, you sent forth your Holy Spirit to to search us out and find us, nor God, while we're yet in our sin. And we love you. Thank you for such a solid foundation that all hell cannot destroy. And nor God, that we're part of a church that, that, that is generational, nor God, that's lasted 2,000 years, nor God, we're part of a people that are spread right across this world. Every language, every nation, every people, every color, nor God, thank you that we're part of that one church that is being right now built a upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you with all of our heart. And Father, will you preserve unity in this church? Help the love of Christ to be shed abroad. Make it real, O oh God. We're only here a short time. We realize our time is short. And Lord God, we want to help one another. We want to exhort each other. We want to be a blessing and not a curse. We want to be a, a means of helping someone and not a hindrance to them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.